Commander Shepard has been recovered. The Lazarus Project will proceed as planned. Welcome to the Lazarus Podcast. In this podcast, we discuss all things Mass Effect, Bioware. We talk about its characters, lore, theory, and opinion. The podcast is recorded live in the Ploppy54 Gaming Discord server. Come join us there to listen to the raw, unedited version. All the details you need can be found at ploppy54gaming.com. My name is Craig, and joining me today is Ploppy54, also known as Tim. Hello. And that Cerberus guy himself, also known as Manning. How's it going, everyone? And in this episode, as I said, we'll be discussing Cerberus and what our opinions are on how they're portrayed in all three games and talking a little bit about the latest news in the Mass Effect universe. And I hit my keyboard. But first, let's talk about the latest news. Welcome to Citadel Newsnet. I'm Emily Wong. The the first bit of news we've got is Dragon Age 4 has a new title. Uh, does anybody know what the title is? Uh, Dreadwolf. That's right. It's uh, the Dreadwolf. So it's continuation of Solus from Dragon Age Inquisition. Uh, what do you guys think of this? A good name? Good title? I don't mind it as a title, but I will say literally the first thing that popped in my mind when I heard it was it reminded me of the Dreadmasters from Swotor. So I would imagine the Dreadwolf would be their pet. I did hear, actually hear like a lot of people saying that like the Dreadwolf could be some kind of like a uh, veil creature that like, so you also, you have Solus in the living world, but you have some kind of literal Dreadwolf in the veil. And I thought that was interesting. Like I, I never thought of it that way. I just saw Solus as just being the Dreadwolf going between both worlds. I need to. I need to play Trespasser. I've not. I've, I've not played Trespasser yet, and that uh, oh. kind of sets it all up, doesn't it, for uh, from Dragon Age Four? Yeah, I think I might have accidentally spoiled it. <laughs> I do kind of like the idea, though. I hadn't heard that of it being like a creature confined to the Fade, maybe trying to get out or something. Like I don't know how you'd really do that. Yeah, I, I can't remember who it was who I heard talk about that. Otherwise, I would credit them, but. Um... There was something about like them theorizing or thinking that actually I think I think it was uh Jack Daw. It was it was in that video that he theorized about um the Dreadwolf being a literal creature of some kind and them being separate entities that maybe share some kind of link psychologically. I mean that's a good idea and I kinda hope they do do that because something else like I had a friend point out to me was like because that's where my mind first went. But then my buddy's like he's like, Yeah, but Dreadwolf is kind of ambiguous like that could just as easily be like a group of mercenaries too or like a guild of something or other a rogue guild of mages or anything really I, I'm, I'm really sort of just trying to like not say too much now because i feel really bad about just spoiling trespasser for tim <laughs> <laughs> it's okay I'll, I'll forget by the time i get there anyway i'm, I'm redoing uh, origins at the minute it's a pretty so, big uh... spoiler though really it would be interesting if they yeah they did something unexpected to, to, with the dread wolf but they it's just it's it's a bit like it kind of raises questions for me because it felt like they kind of up and said what the Dreadwolf literally is, though. They they said that, um, sorry again, Tim, Solus is kind of a literal embodiment of the Dreadwolf. You can find out a lot about the, the Dreadwolf in Origins as well. Uh, if you speak to Dalish, one of the elders there, and they tell you all about the Dreadwolf, 
assuming in Origins. Are you not getting the Dreadwolf confused with Witherfang? Because I remember a million and one hours of dialogue about Witherfang. But I don't... No, no, no. There's, there's definitely it's the story of the Dreadwolf. I think um, that's possible. I know. I remember them mentioning it in Dragon Age Two. Yeah, it's been a while since I've played Origins. I'll have to go back, mm. back there and check out the Dalish camp again. But yeah, head to the Dalish camp, and there's, uh, I think that I think it's one of the elders, and he's is telling the story to uh, around the campfire, as I recall. I haven't actually got there myself yet, uh, but there is, there's a statue of the Dreadwolf there. And you can speak to this elder, and he'll tell you the story of the Dreadwolf. And is that where, like, the same person who's trying to help? I can't remember anyone's name, but the one younger elf who's trying to do his hunt. You have to help do his hunt so he can like win the affection of the other lady elf. And I remember there was an elder there talking about something. Yes, that sounds vaguely familiar now. Yeah, that's right. So, but you can skip it altogether. You don't have to to listen to it. Uh, you know, it's one of those kind of optional kind of conversations that you can be. It's it's, it's kind of funny because my first exposure to like the mentioning of the Dreadwolf was actually in Dragon Age Two, because that was actually the first Dragon Age game I completed. And literally, whenever I hear Dreadwolf, I just think of Meryl, and now she keeps saying like, "Buy the Dreadwolf" when she's talking about how untidy her house is. Uh, there's a also the uh, acronyms have started uh, coming out. Have you seen those uh, on Twitter? I have not. So you've got uh, Dragon Age, DA, and then Dreadwolf. So it's DAD, Dad. And oh, yeah, I did see something. That, that <laughs> might have even been in the Discord. That might have been you, actually. <laughs> Daddy, I think, is the, uh, is the, uh, the new shortened version of uh, Dragon Age, Dreadwolf. So yeah, look out for those. That's I suppose there's worse acronyms. <laughs> There was damp, wasn't there, for Dragon Age uh, multiplayer? Well, I never played the multiplayer, but did you ever feel it was a little damp? <laughs> <laughs> no, but I did think Inquisition was a lot like Skyrim. <laughs> it it really was, wasn't it? Anybody else got anything to say on the new Dragon Age game? Are you looking forward to it? I'm definitely looking forward to it, especially after... Because I know there were those initial things quite a while ago saying that it was supposedly going to follow in the same vein as Anthem and be like online only all the time and like a live service game. And I'm glad to see that it's going to be more of a single player role-playing focus, which I mean, I'd be, I'd be willing to forgive a lot of mistakes if it's not anything like Anthem. That's right. I'm, 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 I'm happy it's changed back to uh, its roots and being the, the single player RPG because that's what it excels at. I do think one of the benefits that Dragon Age has also got is um, each each story within Dragon Age kind of, while they're linked together, they do tend to like establish whole new worlds each time, if you know what I mean. Like in Origins, it feels like a whole new sort of land, and in Dragon Age 2, it is literally a whole different area of uh, Thedas. And then in Inquisition, it's like so far in the future that it's basically a whole new world. And I think that's what it's got going for it in the new game, that like it's going to in some way I feel be a new established world. Like I think people were theorizing that it'd be set in the Tevinter Imperium or something, weren't they? Yes. Yeah, that's what I've heard. That's where it's gonna be set. Dragon Age in a way can be a whole new game when it does a sequel. Yeah, that's true. Like I was just gonna say, I hope whatever they do, they do put a lot of effort into the world building. Cause like you said, exploring in Origins was obviously literally exploring a new world. And then two might be my favorite of the trilogy. 
But that being said, I kind of hated like the whole time I was playing the game. I'm like, oh, this is like Kirkwall's awesome, but I can't wait to go somewhere else. And then by the end, I'm like, I was like waiting and waiting and waiting. And then by the end, you just never get to go anywhere else. Yeah, I feel like that was more of like a, a limited time to make the game or develop the game. And so when I spoke to Mark Dara, it, it was literally that they Star Wars, the, the Old Republic had been delayed and they needed something, literally something to fill the gap. So they went, right, OK, get uh, Dragon Age as soon as you can the whole game was developed in space of like 18 months it does seem to say a lot doesn't it about what ea used to be like and how it was just sort it thought so corporately about like how it has to have a certain game in a certain window and it doesn't matter if it's not ready you just kind of push the team to get it done whereas um in the case of the new game you might it seems like they're giving the teams the time that they need I think a lot of that, and I might be completely way off, but just personally, I feel like a lot of that is, I, I I honestly feel like a bunch of the brass at EA were convinced and maybe even expecting Jedi Fallen Order to fail. And then when it turned into this amazingly incredible selling 55,000 million copies, they were like, whoa, wait, people actually were were telling the truth when they said they wanted single player, that single player games. And then it was like, maybe we should just give them a bit more time and see. I must admit, I was a bit worried for single-player games at, at that point because I, industry had decided, that's it, we're not going to do that, we can't make money on single-player games, it's going to be games as service and loot boxes, and that's the way that game is going to go. I'm really pleased that uh, Fallen Order was such a massive success. Yeah, and I want to just clarify, like, I'm not against multiplayer, like, I, I like multiplayer when it's done right, like in Mass Effect 3, obviously, that game's well over 10 years old now and it still has a thriving community and inquisitions multiplayer was took me a little while to get used to and i don't but i don't mind it either so i'm not saying a game can't have multiplayer i'm just being like do it right and make it kind of like an add-on and not the main thing and the second bit of news is bioware gear store made a bit of a description error uh, when it was updating its latest poster they drop the name in shepherd making it sound like he's coming back or he or she is coming back for the next game which was quickly you know uh, updated and and rectified and it was debunked completely and said no it's a complete mistake uh it it shouldn't have gone on there in the first place so i thought i'll just uh, i'll just get your opinion on do you think it was a genuine mistake or do you think there might be some truth behind it and do you think shepherd might actually return for mass effect four stroke five depending on where you stand with it uh to be completely honest um maybe it's just me being cynical but i'm like I'm 39 and I've been around long enough and played enough games to know that I don't think anything is an accident, especially in today's modern, like multi, multi-billion dollar age. People don't make oopsies. And my personal opinion, what I thought, and I told a couple of friends and they seem to agree with me or think it would be a smart idea was, I don't want to say it's a troll, but like, what if Shepard is the name of the ship you fly in the new game? And then that's maybe where it came from. Because obviously, because you can't bring Shepard back, in my opinion, because no one Shep- no two Shepherds are alike. You don't even know what gender it is. Everyone has a different skin color. So you could, if you do something and just say the ship is called the Shepherd in honor of the previous games, that was my, the first place my mind went. It is kind of a good idea to name the next ship after Shepard, but I think from the way they worded it, it sounded like they were referring to the character or the person because... 
didn't they say something like um Shepard and the crew were left to pick up the pieces? So I was just it seems a bit strange to refer to the ship in that context, doesn't it? I was straight away was like, Yeah, that's just that's not gonna happen. I don't think they they said right from the start Shepard's story was it was done and dusted. And I, I kind of took one look at that and thought, yeah, it's gone. Write me a description. Say what you see. Write a description. So they've just gone, okay, well, it's this. And then they've gone, oh, no, you can't write that on there. This is going to cause a proper <laughs> storm. So you think Shepard will be back, personally? Well, I mean, I just think the biggest thing is Shepard only survives in one of the four endings. And even then, they only survive if you have a really, really, really high EMS, like I, like to the point where I'd almost consider Shepard surviving an Easter egg. And even then you still don't know if they survive. All you see is half a second of the, or of a ch like someone's chest taking in a breath. Like that doesn't necessarily mean they're alive. I do agree with you there that it would be a little bit ridiculous to just kind of canonize that very specific circumstance, even if Shepard is alive in that off breath that we see them. Though at the same time, I can't help but think that I don't think they've said anything to specify where in the process of making the game that they are. I think they're still in pre-production or something, aren't they? I believe so, but don't quote me. It could, it could maybe just be like a quote-unquote leak that's f fabricated plot that they just wanted to test the water and see what the reaction from from the fans was well i know oh. um what my better half suggested was what if and i know this is getting like way out into left field but what if someone at bioware knows what the actual basis or however far along they are with the storyboards and knows shepherd's not going to be part of it but they're part of the camp that really 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 want shepherd to come back so they, someone accidentally put the name out to get everyone riled up, and now Bioware will be like, "Oh, oh crap, guys! We ha look at all this stuff. Like now we have to put Shepard in the game, even we, though we weren't going to, because look how everyone on Twitter is." I think it'd be a mistake if they did. Oh, I 110 percent agree with you. Like Shepard had three games, and like it's time for Shepard to kick their feet up on a beach somewhere with a mai tai. I, I do think it would be still still be nice to carry over choices in that way though like if you've got that very specific ending they might somehow show up in in some respect like not as the protagonist but like in the same way that hawk had some involvement in inquisition well i know i think the biggest thing is i mean i'm sure there's probably a workaround if you play on pc because i'm sure there'd be a way even though we're on way 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 new technology now that you could still import an old mass effect 3 save file just to bring all the choices over but i mean on console that'd be impossible and the only other option then would be you'd start the game and then have to spend half an hour going, okay, did the Rachni survive? Did I side with the Geth? Are the Corians there? I mean, did, did I cure the Genophage? Like, there's just you'd have so many. Even if you cut out all the little side things, like all the minor characters that you just get the occasional email from, there's just so many choices you'd have to manually put in well in this case then what if it was just like a out of out of these potential characters that could be alive or could be dead are they alive and it just gives you like four characters and if those if you say like oh yeah these four characters are alive they'll appear at some point in the story like it doesn't have to be every single choice or it could be like tim says and maybe incorporate the mass effect uh keep i can't remember what it's called it's um uh, the archives mass effect the archives, archives. Which would be a better way of doing it, I guess, than just doing like another comic. Not to be a Debbie Downer, but at the end of the day, I think to try to carry over everything from someone's campaign is just like needless, would be a huge needless waste of time. 
for the developers when they could be spending that time making the world better or adding in new planets and set pieces and things or characters or whatever. I just think that there could be a comfortable in between where like you show one or two things from the from the previous games that tie it to the original trilogy and but at the same time tell a new story like Andromeda did. I mean I'm certainly open and be a hundred percent fine with like callbacks and things which would be great and i mean like you'd have to do that anyway just for things like if the krogan are extinct or if which of the quarians or geth are still alive or are both of them there and then you could call back to certain characters like ashley or caden or whatever i mean i guess i just think like after three games like like to, to use another franchise as an example i love assassin's creed and Ezio was amazing but after three games i was ready for a change i mean like i just think you're like, how many times are you going to kick the dead shepherd horse? Yeah, it's all about moving the story forward. Otherwise, you're going to be stuck bringing back the same character over and over and over again. It kind of makes all their their decisions and their struggles kind of pointless, doesn't it? Yeah, and I'm, I'm not saying I want Shepard to come back as the main protagonist. I just think some kind of extra payoff would, would be nice. But obviously, they can't carry over every ending. I know, that's why, like I said, I liked my suggestion of like, if you called the ship, the shepherd, that would be cool. Cause then everyone who's ever played the trilogy would be like, Oh, like they could identify the ship with their shepherd and someone who just picked up the game and had never played a mass effect game before would be like, Oh, well, why is the ship called this? And then you could have like this huge, like codex entry about listing all the many, many, many things shepherd did over the course of the first three games. Ship AI. Yeah, well, that could also be a thing. Like, Shepard could be the new Cortana or Edie or whatever. It would be like the one thing that survived Mass Effect 3 when the Citadel blew up was the Shepard VI. <laughs> All right, so moving on to our main discussion about the podcast now initially we did say we were going to do the podcast on anderson and do like a character profile on him but as we are called the lazarus project it was it was decided that we should probably start off with a cerberus podcast so we will do a anderson podcast but a bit further down the line so stay tuned for that one okay so cerberus there were all three games uh you actually get to play with the uh, Join them in Mass Effect 2. Uh, but who are they? Uh, where did they come from? And what happened to them? We'll, uh, we'll go through each game and we'll, uh, the team's opinions on, on each part of Cerberus and where they come into it. This was started by a man called Jack Harper. And you can find out all the story in the comic Evolution. He goes on to become known as the Elusive Man. And after his brief encounter with the Reaper artifact, which turned the Turians, these kind of super soldiers, and one of his team members, Ben Hislop, uh, into one of this super alien kind of soldier, they alerted the, the Reapers, uh, which they wasn't quite sure of uh, before until Ben had touched this, this artifact. Jack also corrupted by the artifact but he didn't because he didn't touch it directly he he kind of got all the best bits but managed to retain his his conscience and he was it was his, the start of his indoctrination but it was a very long and slow process for him so he saw what was coming he saw that the reapers were coming to the galaxy to, to wipe out 
life and so he wanted to stop that from happening and so he creates Cerberus as a as a way to protect Earth uh, from the oncoming destruction. And fast forward to Mass Effect 1, they're known, not really known as a organization uh, to the player, just that they they keep in these little cells and they're, known, they're called a, uh, an Alliance Black Ops. And they keep to be doing all these uh, experiments, other creatures around the, the planets and in the galaxy. They're, they're obviously doing something, they're working behind the scenes, but it's not something that you really have much. They're more of a side, uh, a side organization that you just keep coming into contact with. By Mass Effect 2, they have a major part in the story. They bring Shepard back from the dead. They're the ones that are wanting to stop the collectors from colony abductions and they give you a, a brand new ship and help you build up a team and the same organization that you met in mass effect one so you see a completely different side to them but by mass effect three they are the main antagonists and uh elusive man at this point is looking for a way to control the reapers and you have to stop them they, they're constantly um, disrupting your plans to try and bring the galaxy together before the elusive man meets his maker not much known after mass effect 3 whether the whether cerberus actually continues or not they do pop up in a couple of the novels as well and uh, manning you know about uh, cerberus in the novels if you'd like to fill us in with those yeah okay and first just a real quick thing um when just to fill in i guess a blank for lack of a better term in the when that artifact goes off after ben hislip touches it like the insult the resulting blast that gave like you said the elusive man like the best bits without any of the bad parts uh that's where his eyes actually came from and why they're quite cybernetic and very unnerving to look at um so the one as far as the novels go because you already touched on the comics the one novel i'll really dive into head first is retribution uh, there was another really good one called Deception, but I was like that I like, but I probably want to stay a little bit away from that one just because unless it's changed since the last time I look, I still don't think it's actually canon. But anyway, so basically the novel Retribution is basically a side story that's going on after the end, or it's right around the same time around the end of Mass Effect 2. Because when the when the book the novel starts the elusive man like the literally the prologue is the elusive man talking about how shepherd's gone off doing his own thing and now he's having to watch over humanity to make sure like to safeguard it and shepherd it to keep it from extinction etc and i don't want to go too deeply into spoilers here because again like the novel's 100% worth reading but i guess a brief plot synopsis it would be i'm sure anyone who's paid attention in the third game has no heard the name paul grayson a bunch of times and i don't think they specifically mention him by name in the second game but tally and miranda in one of their conversations mention his daughter and so basically the novel is it's following cerberus doing similar experiments to what they had been doing and what they involving Paul Grayson, who at that time had gone rogue and was on Omega. And the entire novel basically follows Admiral Anderson, Kai Lang, 
Kaylee Sanders and a couple other people all playing a game of cat and mouse on Omega trying to track down a rogue. Paul Grayson, who had, like, again, had gone rogue, and uh, Ari is there. Uh, Craig, I believe you started with Mass Effect 3, didn't you? Yep, um, I did. And uh, as I said in the first episode, it didn't end well. Um, my experience with Cerberus, though, I will be perfectly honest, was I kept forgetting that they existed. Um, <laughs> because, honestly, like it does kind of feel like they were underused a little bit in Mass Effect 3. Because, yeah, they... Obviously, they show up at the Mars archives, and then I'm I'm literally just trying to do this from memory, but they they appear in the Mars archives, don't they? There's this whole thing about them interfering with um, something on Tachanka, I think. Uh, they attack the Citadel. They stop you on Thessia. Yeah, and then there's a whole thing at the end from literally the only things I can remember. And I kept forgetting. I, I thought the Elusive Man was cool, but I kept forgetting he existed. And Kai Lang, I, yeah, even more so, I guess, in some ways. Say, so having started with Mass Effect Three, you're not going to have that relationship with uh, the elusive man. So, does he was he just like a just a regular enemy to you, or just somebody that was just in the background? No, I mean there was enough information there for me to know that I'd previously worked for him because they kept bringing up Cerberus in my previous work with them. So I was just kind of just like, okay, so he's the leader of Cerberus, and I was working for him. But it did get to a point where I was just kind of thinking. How how did I in my right mind work for this guy? Because, I mean, it's it's like Manning said in um, some previous uh, multiplayer streams. He kind of just becomes this sort of cartoon villain, and I just I couldn't imagine my character or any Shepard working for someone so evil and sort of <laughs> cartoony, mustache twirling. <laughs> yeah. uh, Manning, you was, you've started from the beginning, is that right? Yeah, from the very beginning. Yeah, I, I still remember being at E three oh six and for, seeing the first trailer for the first game, and I that was it was super exciting. Like I mentioned a couple times, I was like, "Ooh," because like I'm a big, I'm huge into Dungeons and Dragons. So the second I saw, it, I'm like, "Oh my god, Bioware!" Like Bioware, if you're old like I am, you remember games like Aswind Dale and Baldur's Gate and Neverwinter Nights. So I was like, "Oh my god, they're making Dungeons and Dragons in space! I can't wait to play this." So I was like, for like a year leading up to November 07 when it finally came out. I was like so hyped for it. I know this isn't entirely related, so did, but did you did you not play Dragon Age before you played Mass Effect then? Dragon Age Origins came out two years after Mass Effect 1. Oh, really? Because um, Mass Effect actually looks better than Origins to me. Yeah, Mass yeah. Effect was November 20th, 2007, and Dragon Age Origins was 2009. I forget the exact day. Dragon Age Origins went into development first, but yeah, came out after... After Mass, Mass Effect, I guess they must have been working on Origins for longer because it's it's quite a large game, isn't it? I was aware of Dragon Age because, like at the time, I had already put like a substantial amount of time into Elder Scrolls Oblivion, so I was like, I, I was like, I could just, I was like, and like I'm just a sucker for a good RPG, and I was like, it remi- it looked like a kind of similar to oblivion but obviously its own thing so like i was aware of it but it wasn't as big of a deal for me as mass effect was at the time anyway we're going off on a bit of a tangent there yeah, <laughs> yeah there's something about the dragon or something let's <laughs> um let's, uh, steer it, the conversation back towards uh to mass effect and uh and cerberus what has time's gone on manning you've um you've adopted the cerberus guy moniker 
was it uh, was it love at first sight with Cerberus, or was it was that later down the line? For them? I was very okay. So, I'll basically what happened was so I'm playing along Mass Effect, and then the first time like you find like that whole little thing with Kahoku, and then you find out about like the uh, on a coos with the Thresher Maws and all that stuff, and the experiments, and like oh something funny's going on here, and then the first time like when he mentioned that it was just like this rogue black ops group i was like yeah this seems a little like cliche or a bit on the nose but we'll see where this goes and then of course it's like the obligatory oh they're they're doing they're making space spider zombie mutant spider zombies and oh, they're doing all this stuff like evil experiments i'm like oh my god this has a potential to go really bad really quick but i had enough faith in bioware that i'm like all right i'll wait and see like who maybe they'll it's like, like when I when I first played Resident Evil Eight, I was like, I did, I had no expectation for Capcom to put in a half decent explanation for why there were vampires and werewolves and fish monsters running around. But then after beating it, I was like, I won't say impressed, but I was like, oh, they did actually put in a decent explanation for why there's vampires and werewolves and fishmen running around. Okay, like I tip my cap, Capcom. So I was, I was. And then Bioware did kind of the same thing. Like in Mass Effect 2 service, they just were so good, such well-written. Like, I, I don't even want to say villains. They're just kind of antagonistic -y, I guess, but not even really. Like, you can 100% understand where they're coming from. See, for me, I didn't, I didn't like the whole Black Ops thing, that they were supposed to be a Black Ops, part of the Alliance Black Ops that have gone rogue. I was like, oh, here we go. And I'm I'm not sure if that is even true, because if you read the comics, there's nothing... Yeah, all right, um, Delusive Man was part of a Black Ops, the Alliance thing, but when he stepped Cerberus up, that Cerberus itself wasn't actually part of the Alliance. That's his own, his own thing. So I don't quite know if that was um, a storyline that they were going to go down, only to, to forget about it and... There's a couple really minor things in the games like that. Like if you pay really close attention, you can catch a couple inconsistencies. And I generally just chalk that up to one of them and don't really put much thought into it beyond that. But yeah, like I guess the best way to say it is like my the ringtone on my cell phone has been the Elusive Man's theme for over well over 10 years now. <laughs> yeah, I suppose considering like how how mysterious he was like it was like i don't know like i think I'm, I'm not entirely sure how they should have ended the whole cerberus thing in mass effect 3 but like in in mass effect 2 i think the fact that you didn't even know where where the elusive man was when you were talking to him that's kind of i don't know not to sound like too on the nose but that's kind of what made him a bit elusive and mysterious and the thing is too like as good of a job as they do in the games of fleshing him out which we'll get, I'm sure we'll touch on it but there's some other people in Cerberus they don't do a very good job in the games of fleshing out if you read the comics and novels they even do a, even you get to find out even so much more like about him like one of my, one of the coolest moments in the novel retribution there's a part I'll try to keep spoilers to a minimum but there's a part where uh, Kai Lang has to make a choice to say either save the elusive man's life or go do something else. And I'm not going to say what the something else is because it's a pretty big spoiler, but Lang 
opts to save the elusive man's life, genuinely upset and angry at him because he's like, you should have let me die because this other thing is a thousand times more important. Very mysterious. <laughs> like it just goes to show like he, like he was this, you know, suave, incredibly rich trillionaire running this huge organization, but he was so committed to the advancement of humanity that he didn't like, so he would have like let his, let himself die like at the drop of a hat because he wanted Lang to do the other thing because he was worried the other thing, if it got out of control, would be more detrimental to humanity than him surviving. There's a real thing that makes him grey, though, is the whole, like, it, what, what really would his intentions be if humanity got to that point where it was better than all the other races, you know? Like, was was it really for the security of humanity, or did he eventually have some kind of goal of controlling the other races? I like to think it was genuinely just to get humanity on a level playing field. Because, I mean, even the most altruistic Paragon player has to admit that humanity doesn't exactly get treated very well, even into the third game when we're saving everyone's lives. But I, I like to think, like Miranda mentions in the one conversation in Mass Effect 2, that it bothers her that so many people join just out of simple xenophobia. But I like to think that Cerberus as a whole is better than that. Yeah, I mean, I understand, like, Miranda's reasons for joining them and everything, but, I mean, humanity is very new to the galactic community, though, so, I mean, the other races do kind of have a good reason for not giving them so much privilege. I mean, they already put the humans on the council before they put the Volus and the Hanar and the Elcor as well. Yeah, and that's fair. And, like, I understand, like, I can, as much as I hate Sparatus, the Turian counselor, I can understand him and how a lot of the other Turians, like, uh, what's the name of the police chief on the Citadel? When he's like a super agreeable guy, and I find myself really liking him. But when he just says, he's like, yeah, you, you like humans have been here for like 20 minutes and you're already got all this power. It's like, you should slow down a little bit. I'm like, yeah, that's a fair point. Like, I can understand it, but there's still like the level of vitriol a lot of people have towards humans is just kind of off-putting to me anyway. And I can understand where the elusive man's coming from. Is it Kellick? Is that his name? I don't know, but I, I, know, I know the one you're talking about. Like, he kind of runs CSEC, doesn't he? Yeah, Garrus's boss. Yeah, I don't remember his name. <laughs> have we... We should probably touch a little bit upon um, on Tim's experience with Cerberus, shouldn't we? Well, um... Tim's still here. Good. <laughs> 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 no, just listen to you guys. For Mass Effect One, it was there was just kind of more in the background. I think you hear of them with Kahuku, and you see them a couple of times doing their experiments and that. So it wasn't really that um, that that involved with them. It wasn't until Mass Effect Two that obviously you 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 learn a lot more about them. I wasn't at first. I wasn't happy that I was forced to work with them because I'd, I'd spent so much time in the Normandy and so many playthroughs of playing Mass Effect 1. I was Alliance through and through. So then to be forced to, well, no, you're you, you now working with Cerberus. But by the end of the game, because like, uh, like Manon says, they were so well written in Mass Effect 2 that you'd overcome all those experiences that you had had. And yeah, you, you was I, I still didn't trust the Elusive Man because of the stuff that he'd done. Like um, not telling you about the ambush and sending you in you know, when he knew that the collectors could turn up at any second and that sort of thing. You know, he did kind of have a that. decent reason for that, though. 
even so, uh, you know, it was still a bit of a not not something you'd expect if you know you, you spent all this money rebuilding you, then to to throw you in there and go, yeah, maybe you live, maybe you die. I don't know. Before you move on too much further, can I interject and ask you a cool question real fast? Sure. All right. So just like you personally, like if you were Shepherd, and you could be like the most hardcore pro alliance, whatever you want to be. But I'm just saying, after everything that had gone through, like the like the Normandy gets destroyed, everyone dies, and especially Shepard. And Cerberus spends two years and billions of credits bringing you back into a new ship, all new things, a brand new crew, AI, everything, all the bells and whistles. And I understand a hundred percent you wouldn't. You're like I'm an Alliance soldier, and I don't trust you. But at the same time, after all the effort and time they'd put into you, would you not at least be willing to hear them out and say, okay, well, we'll see how this goes. We'll play it by ear. Like, it, oh, yeah. like it just seems weird that after all that, like, if, if you, even if you could leave, you'd just be like, oh, well, thanks for bringing me back and all this, but I don't trust you. I don't like you. I'm not even <laughs> going to give you the time of day. No, I, 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 would, I like the, the, the way they did it, that, you know, they sent you to the Freedom Podcast. Your first mission, you know, the, you know, you can show you what's happening, sort of thing, and yeah, I, I, I like that. It, it kind of gives you that. It's almost like a false choice of like, okay, so this is what's happening. This is what you're going to do, and and at that point, you would go, I'm going back to the alliance, or I'm going to go and get the alliance's help, which I think he does actually. Shepard actually does say, but at the same time, you're like, yeah, okay, I'll see you out. I'll um, I'll stick around, and and we'll um you know, you do want to stop this, so and I want to stop it, so we'll go and speak to the Alliance as well, and of course you get there, and, and Anderson's like, no, you're a terrorist. You're working with terrorists, I'm not helping you. <laughs> a minor thing, but something that really kind of sold me on the Elusive Man 2 is maybe not everyone's seen it, because I'm not sure, because like when you're in that little space station before, right before you go to Freedom's Progress and you talk to the Elusive Man for the first time, if you have like the full dialogue with Miranda and Jacob, Miranda gets like really pissy and says that one thing she would have changed is she wanted to put a control chip in you and the elusive man forbade it. So, I mean, the fact like after hearing that and knowing that essentially he could have turned you into a slave and Miranda wanted to like actively wanted to, but he wouldn't let her and was like, no, I want Shepard as Shepard. I don't want anything. Just the, only the stuff, the amount of tech and to bring him, him or her back as they were nothing else no control blah blah i mean to me that really was like okay i still maybe don't trust them but that's kind of a really big plus in my book anyway yeah i, I agreed with that yeah it, that's i was quite shocked that it it was her that wanted to um to put the control trip in not no that's like the first if you talk to her right after you get off the the, the calm with the elusive man in Mass Effect 2, right at the start, if you go talk to her, she tells you that like up front. She's like, I wanted to put a control tip chip in you and he wouldn't let me. I thought it was in Mass Effect 3 when you, you speak to her about um, when she's... Yeah, because then you can speak to her about it in 3 when she invites you to her, the apartment on the Citadel and she trips over herself trying to apologize. But in the second game, she's like right up front and no bones about it, like kind of angrily says, I can't believe he didn't let me do this. I mean, I, I do think talks about it in a way that you you know like how when someone um in a tv show or a film just brings up like oh yeah you remember when this happened like they're trying to 
let the audience know that this thing happened, even though they didn't see it. It's like it came across that way, I think, in how Miranda talks about it in Mass Factory, like just in case um, people or dumbasses, I guess, like me, decided to play Mass Effect 3 first. And like I said, I bet you a lot of people missed it because as soon as you get off the phone with the elusive man, you can just run out the door and go right to Freedom's Progress. You don't even have to talk to Jacob or Miranda. So a lot of people probably did miss that. Yeah, that's true, yeah. While we're on the topic of Miranda, though, I do want to say it it does seem like a bit of a shame how, like, suddenly, at least to me, it seems quite too soon that she warms up to Shepard, in my opinion. It it doesn't feel like enough time has passed before she gradually grows to, like, before she, before she grows to trust him. Like, it feels like it was, it was a little too, a little too quick, in my opinion. No, I get, I can see that. I mean, Miranda, though, she kind of does strike me a little bit as one of those people who, like, puts on like a super brave face and like I'm I'm like the ultimate ass kicker and blah 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 but just like she's never more than like one bad thing going wrong from just like completely breaking down. I don't know, maybe I'm way off, but she always kinda gave me that vibe. Yeah, she's she's got a lot of emotional stuff going on, isn't she? If you you read her files on the Shadow Broker and that she's desperate for a kid, isn't she? And she's been told that she can't have him and so she's got a lot of personal stuff going on as well as having to run an entire cell of the most expensive person that's ever been brought back to life so i will build on that and say it is such a shame that if you choose to romance her she doesn't bring that up and like there isn't some kind of like moment between like male shep and her where where she has to tell him and says like i don't know something along the lines of if you just don't want to be with me because you you want that kind of thing, I understand. Like, I think that could have been quite powerful. Breaking up with her in the third game is, like, the most heartbreaking thing in the world. Yeah, she doesn't seem to... To be fair, like, considering everything she's already going through in at the time of the third game, you can kind of see why. I still think my like, favorite thing about rom- romancing Miranda is the line, after the Collector mission, if Kasumi survives, the line she gives you about... If you go talk to her once you're back on the ship, depending on who you romance, she'll give you a witty, a, like, a witty one-liner. And the one she does for Miranda, I don't know if I can repeat it on the podcast, but it's pretty hilarious. She gets mad at you. She's like, Kasumi's like, I can't believe you slept or had sex with Miranda in the engine room. Like, you got Miranda all over Tally's workstation. How could you do that to your friend? It's something like that. It's the most out of left field but hilarious line ever in the franchise. Yeah, it does make you kind of feel sorry for Tally actually thinking about it. <laughs> I was just say, like... In a lot of ways, the elusive man is still cool in the third game, but a lot in a lot of other ways, the less said about Cerberus and Mass Effect Three, the better. Because a lot of the stuff they do, like the whole thing, like the whole coup attempt, is just dumb. And then, like, it's so perfect because after that mission, when you're on the hollow call with Anderson and Hackett, and you're like, Cerberus tried to take over, tried to stage a coup, and then Anderson's like, "What the hell for?" And then I was like, "Yeah, that's a valid point. Why? What were they? What were they trying to achieve?" <laughs> wasn't that brought forward? That was supposed to be later in the game, wasn't it? I remember correctly. I f- can't remember exactly, but I know it got moved around or it got changed or something with it. I'll be honest when I when I heard Anderson say that in the conversation, I was expecting there to be some kind of discussion and figuring out why. And it's just kind of funny, isn't it? How they, you just never really know. Not really any logic there. No, and that's what I mean. Is that's one that's not a that's not a small thing, a, not a small part of the game, and it never gets resolved or addressed. It's why the why Udina flipped or why that happened in the first place. It is one of those things, I guess, that you can still 
at least chalk down to indoctrination. In his own mind, he's justifying it, but it's really just because the Reapers want to wipe everyone out. I think another thing too, I know I'm probably one of the, not one of a small amount of people who actually think this, but I actually, even from the first game, I never minded Udina's character. I mean, like, yeah, he's kind of a dick, but I mean, he's really just doing his job. And with you running around, everything, all the main story missions in the first game, like, I completely understand why when you go back, he'll no matter what you do, he'll complain about it. Like, if you kill the Rachni Queen, he gets mad, you you basically committed genocide on an entire species. If you don't kill her, then he gets mad that you released a, ra a fertile Rachni Queen back out into the wilds, and now the Rachni are going to take the galaxy over again. So, I mean, like, yeah, he is kind of a dick, and I get why people hate him, but at the same time, I kind of also understand why and how he is. So then for them to just, oh, he's a bad guy now. When through the whole beginning of Mass Effect 3, he's one of the most level-headed, even-keeled humans in the game. See, to me, he did come across as someone who was overly ambitious to begin with anyway, though. Like, especially how how easy he seems to fit into the whole, oh, right, I guess humans are now in charge of the galaxy, even though, of course, eventually they aren't anyway, because it's kind of undone. But, like, it's it's just... How he, how he, how comfortable he gets so quickly after the council's killed off. No, I know, but I mean, show me a politician who isn't ambitious. And I'm like, while he would never say what he said, like if the council dies, like he would never say what he says afterwards publicly. But I mean, any anyone in that position would have thought what he said. I guess I just, I just kind of got the impression that he was like, he was always kind of that way about like wanting humanity to be in charge of the galaxy over, over aliens anyway and then to, to me in that way it still kind of made sense then that he would he would side with Cerberus if it meant that he could get into that position of power yeah I mean or it could have even just simply been something as simple as he kind of fits like the Cerberus mold I mean he certainly doesn't like the fact that humanity is like second tier citizens so I would not be surprised at all if he donated to them like himself because i mean it's like he just fits the mold and i don't think i think a lot of people like genuine i think a lot of genuinely good people fit that mold like look at mess sergeant gardner in mass effect 2 he's like the ultimate like bro like man's man but he just he fit Cerberus. i mean it's just worked for him doesn't mean he's a bad guy just because he joined Cerberus. do we ever find out what happens to him if he's alive in mass effect 3 i assumed everyone who was on the ship in two that lived is in jail. I mean, that, right? Wouldn't that just stand to reason? Yeah, I mean, I guess when you find out that um, Gabby and um, Donnelly are are in jail, you, I guess you can kind of assume that everyone else is. Yeah, like Gabby and Ken are, and then the only reason Joker was even allowed on the ship is because his big ruse he played with Edie. Like, I still don't... Like, even if you hate Cerberus and 100% don't want anything to do with them, after the end of the second game, Shepard going back to the Alliance was, like, the stupidest thing they could have done. Like, you instead of trying to get ready, you could have spent, like, that the six months between the end of two and the start of three trying to do whatever you could to prepare out in the Terminus systems because you're still technically a Spectre. I guess you can refuse it. But just, oh, I get with Shepard just being like, oh, I guess I'll go back to the Alliance and let them put me in prison for six months. That seems like a great way to spend six months. Batarians were looking to start a war, weren't they? And then they had to have somebody to answer for the, the description of the of the, the relay. 
so out of a moral duty to stop Batarians attacking Earth or Earth colonies or something, it's understandable why you'd go back. I just don't think, first of all, I think, like, I don't, like, the Batarians are strong physically, like, one-on-one. Like, I wouldn't want to fight one over the course of all the games that their, their quote-unquote navy is just like a ragtag group of, like, pirate ships. And, like, they're not really that military impressive at all. Like, that was the whole reason they left the council in the first place was humanity was pushing them around and taking all their territory. But even so, you know, Shepard's not going to let innocent people die because of something that has happened on his, you know, his watch, is he? Shepard could just fake his death and say, oh, like, he died going through the Omega-4 relay. I'm just saying, because, I mean, like, I get that, okay, fair point that you wouldn't know how long it would be. But Shepard had to know that if I go back to the Alliance, I'm getting arrested. And that's like the worst thing to do when at that time, no one still believed that the Reapers were coming. Well, I I don't think he did. If you you listen to his opening um, statement to Anderson in three, he seems quite surprised that he got grounded and you took away his ship. I think he he kind of went back thinking, oh, yeah, I'll I'll show my face. I'll do, I'll I'll save my piece and then that'll be it. And I'll be on my way sort of thing. And he's like, yeah, you grounded me for six months and took away my ship. How dare you? Yeah, I kind of got that impression as well. It would be nice, though, if they gave some kind of comic or something that they explained that, like just some kind of extra information, kind of, you know, giving us a bit more of what Shepard's logic there is. But unfortunately, I think they intentionally didn't show Shepard's face in um, in the comics for a good reason, didn't they? Yeah. See what happens when you try to be overly nice. <laughs> Bad things happen. <laughs> Like the whole, the everything that happens at the start of Mass Effect 2 with the mechs and then with the clone in the third game was all because Thane couldn't be bothered to kill one person that he was hired to kill, by the way. I don't <laughs> so, remember that, to be honest. Maya, Maya Brooks, the Citadel DLC. Uh, oh, oh, right. So when, when was he hired to kill her? She was, she was the one who reprogrammed the mechs on at the start of mass effect 2 to attack everyone wilson was just working with her and yeah because she was okay so when i forget exactly when it happened but back when she was still with cerberus before she left when she was dating kai lang she was undercover on the citadel and i forget who it was but someone hired thane to kill her and then thane caught up to her at a bar on the citadel and drugged her drink and then after she passed out like brought her somewhere and then he was going to kill her, but she made puppy dog eyes at him and told him that she had he, she had a really rough childhood, and then he couldn't bring himself to kill her, so he let her go. Where was this explained then? If it wasn't in comics? No, it wasn't. I forget. It was in the comics. I just forget. It was in. I believe I'm ninety percent sure it was in the Foundation comics. I just forget which one. And mm. I mean, like, admittedly, she did have a really bad childhood, but still, like, he got hired to kill her, and. She and he didn't because she made puppy dog eyes at him and cried, and he let her go. And then all the bad stuff happened afterwards. <laughs> you you kind of you kind of have to give Thane the benefit of the doubt there for not knowing what she was going to do. I don't know if I'm just if I was the person who hired him, I'd be kind of. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, although it is very interesting. I don't remember actually hearing or finding out that she was the one who who repro or she was the one who helped Wilson reprogram the Max. Yeah, so when she came back, she had I forget specifically what happened but her and lang were on a mission that went sideways and then he blamed her and then the elusive man blamed her and then she wanted to redeem herself 
But the elusive man said, no, for the time being, I'm reassigning you under Miranda's command. And then she was the one who put together all the dossiers. You find that out in Mass Effect 3. And she was because she she was genuinely didn't want Cerberus to be working with aliens. She thought that would make them weaker. And again, I think she mentions that in the Citadel DLC too. So she like went off and did her own thing. And so she was the one who stole the clone and she reprogrammed the mechs to use this cover. And then Wilson helped her and then they got separated. I, I forget exactly. It's been a while since I've read them, but yeah, she was the brains behind the mech attack at the start of the second game. I mean, you can kind of see where she's coming from, though. It's, a, it's, it's like a weird way of thinking to decide that you're going to get aliens to help humans gain a footing in or, or gain an advantage over the races. Like Morden says when you first meet him, he's like, elusive man, working with aliens, must be desperate. I mean, that's, that's a, those are all fair points, but I think it happens a bit more often than like you'd think. I mean, you can even go back even before Cerberus started when the elusive man was still just Jack Harper and him, when he was kind of teamed up with Saren to stop Desolus. Yeah, I kind of got the feeling that wasn't a, that was just two people kind of working towards the same goal. They weren't really working together sort of thing. That makes sense. Yeah, the enemy of my enemy is my friend. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, there's definitely no love lost there. Yeah, I suppose if, it's, if in both cases he... He was desperate, like. I think though, if they if they had gone into it a little bit more, like I bet you, there probably would be, like especially because how Miranda and Kelly and a bunch of other people are saying that oh, just because like we're pro-human doesn't mean we're anti-alien. So I mean, like I could, I bet you, you could find like uh, some non-humans that just generally find that they like what Cerberus stands for and would work with them because that happens in other things too. There's the, like just off the top of my head, there's like the Asari in Andromeda who has, I forget her name, but she has a Quarian name and lives on the fleet. So, I mean, like that's, I mean, other races hang out with other races all the time. And I don't think Cerberus would necessarily be excluded from that either. So moving on to, to Mass Effect 3, I mean, you know, we've touched briefly on Mass Effect 3. What what were your overall impressions of Cerberus in Mass Effect 3? I know we said that they're not really in it as much, only being there for like Mars and uh, the Coop and then the ending sort of thing. And uh, Thessia, I think, as well. But overall, you still kind of get that they, they, they do pop up, don't they? And that there are points in the game where you... you you're wondering why you know these people are where all these these soldiers are coming from uh, that didn't seem there in the previous game um so what was your uh, yeah overall impression of them going from mass effect 2 to mass effect 3 uh well like craig said my first impression was i was extremely disappointed that they took for how cool they were in 2 they like I said, they turned them into mustache twirling Saturday morning cartoon villains. But that being said, there are still a couple parts where you can kind of see like good writing, like what could have been shone through. Like the mission on Sanctuary is so cool. Like, especially because like I could see myself like doing that. Like on one hand, it's horrible what was going on there, but on the other hand, if the alternative is everyone dies then that kind of seem, starts to seem not quite as horrible. I think yeah. I was 
quite disappointed with them being the antagonists by this point. Uh, I like the way that Shepard says, look, let's work together sort of thing. And the elusive man was like, no, no it's not happening. It's like, oh, for goodness sake. Oh, I know. Even Liaris <laughs> at one point says, yeah, Cerberus as an ally would have been an immense help. <laughs> I was going to say, do you think that they're, they're done for? Do you think they're going to come back? I have, maybe I'll finish the, I'll finish up on it, but I have a fan theory that I'm about legitimately like 98% sure I think is right, but I'll save that to the end of the podcast just to finish up with. But I don't know. I don't think, I think they could come back. I don't think they're done for. Craig, do you think they can come back or they, they, did they end with the elusive man? I suppose they could come back, but I would love them to come back as not the antagonist. I'm going to kind of come back as some kind of like, I don't know, sort of renewed in a way that's even different from how the elusive man ran it. Like they're not kind of, they, they, they've got the whole humanity first idea or or the idea of advancing humanity, but not always like at the expense of other races so much. Like, I feel like they could do something a little more interesting there, kind of, I don't know, I guess make them a little less grey, but keep their kind of central goal the same. I, th I think it would be very interesting if they, if, if they kind of went completely the other way as kind of a different approach. Well, here's something I'll float out just to see what you guys think. Um, so in my personal headcanon, after the, so the, even though I like the control ending in my headcanon, Shepard picks the destroy ending. And then afterwards, everyone's still trying to figure out what's going on and get back on their feet. But my idea was, since all the council races are still there, the only really thing, what ended up happening was for me, was that Cerberus ended up joining forces with the Batarian hegemony, because they're like the two big things left that are on the outside of the council, just to try to form like their own thing to kind of protect themselves while they try to get both back on their feet as well. Um, yeah, I, I mean, it sounds interesting. It sounds, certainly sounds like a, a unique idea. I mean, I, I kind of like the idea that, um, I don't know, like, depending on how... I suppose it really does depend on when um, the new Mass Effect game is set, but it would be really interesting if, like, Miranda was in charge of uh, Cerberus, if she's still alive. Or, um, like, and she's trying to steer it in a whole new direction. And, um, I don't know, like, possibly they could do what they did with, like, characters like Morden and kind of have a standing character if she is dead. I mean, yeah, that's a lot of that. All of these things are cool, but I'm honestly, I know I'm going to be in the minority of this, but I think the fewer characters they bring from the trilogy back, the better. Risky move, though, isn't it? They tried that with the Andromeda and it didn't go down too well. But the thing with, I think the thing with Andromeda, though, was the vast majority of people who actually gave the game a chance liked it. Like, I've heard, like, all these people on youtube like people that i actually trust and listen to for game reviews were given it like between six and eight and i don't think it, like it was never as bad even with all the bugs it was never as bad as the very vocal minority on twitter said it was 
And I think that's the that's just unfortunately a problem in today's society is you you get five, 10, 15, 20 people on Twitter making like a huge fuss. And even though that's like a, per, like a percent of a percent of your total audience, they're the loudest. So people are, oh my God, is that how everyone feels? Even though it's not. I think Cerberus as like a concept was like incredibly awesome. Like, I mean, like, I wonder how many people actually know what the real reason why Cerberus is even called Cerberus is. No, do you, do you, there's actually yeah, there's a question. Do either of you know why Cerberus is called Cerberus? I do, but uh, I won't steal your thunder. So in Greek mythology, obviously Cerberus is the three-headed dog, but in Mass Effect lore, uh, the Soul Relay is located by Pluto's moon of Charon, and in Greek mythology, Charon is the name of the ferryman who brings the souls of the dead down the river Styx to Hades. And Cerberus' job, obviously, is to keep everyone in Hades in, but it's also to keep people who aren't supposed to be there out. So, like, the... What, I guess, the allegory, for lack of a better word, is if anyone wanted to attack Earth, they would have to go through the chair and relay, or, I guess, like, poet, like, the river Styx kind of thing. And if anyone wanted to actually attack Earth, they would have to get through Cerberus to do it. But yeah, they're the, the protectors of Earth, basically. Which makes perfect sense. <laughs> yeah. I will say, though, um, after reading Retribution and the other book, I can't remember what it's called off the top of my head, that came out, the two books that came out between Mass Effect 2 and Mass Effect 3, I was kind Actually, of like, yeah. I loved Kai Lang in the novels and comics, so to actually see him in the game, I wish he had a bigger role, but it was just cool to see him in the game. And of course, Troy Baker's a god, so. <laughs> yeah, I do think um, it would be nice if it looked a bit less like he was shoehorned into the game. And I knew he probably wasn't came up with it until way later on. No, I mean, that's the thing. There's so much stuff he does in all the novels and books and, and sorry, novels and comics that they never even touch on. Like what he does to Arya's daughter, the whole thing with him and Anderson and Kaylee Sanders on Omega. There's the whole Paul Grayson thing. There's just so many things and you get like none of it. They didn't even get his tattoo right. <laughs> you know, I will say though, it's kind of cool. Um, it kind of blew my mind a little bit. Um, just random tangent here. Do you know in the novels... Um, Kai Lang uses my real life name as his alias when he's on Omega. <laughs> like, what are the odds of that? <laughs> it's quite spooky, that. That's quite strange, yeah. I guess then, if we're finishing up, I guess I'll do my little fan theory about Cerberus that I think is correct, just to see what you guys... I'm pretty sure I've told you both before. But we'll just leave it there, and then we can probably wrap it up. Okay. Mm -hmm. Or wait, you haven't finished Andromeda yet. I don't want to spoil anything for you. Maybe I haven't told you. Oh, yeah, I think you have, yeah. If it's what I think it is. It's something to do with um, some ships and the colors and the... Yeah, and yeah, yeah. some things that happen, and then some things some of the Bioware devs at a on a Reddit AMA said about the cancelled DLC, what some of the cancelled DLC was going to be, and then me kind of taking what's in the game, and then what was said at the Ask Me Anything, and then some other things, and just kind of 
trying to put two and two and getting four myself. The the the, the basic the premise of it is that you believe that um, Cerberus was actually supposed to be an Andromeda. Yeah, that Cerberus is supposed to be an Andromeda, and that Reyes was the new elusive man. And then once you get that far in the game, maybe I'll touch on it again in a future episode so it doesn't yeah, really yeah. spoil you on anything. Fair enough. So in closing then, uh, Craig, what's your overall opinion of Cerberus? As an enemy, as an ally? Um, I think they have the potential to be like a way more interesting villain, and I think they they should have been used a lot better in Mass Effect 3 because it's it's really hard to make a villain that you can empathize with or understand when you're fighting Reapers. And yeah, I think it, it, they could have been they could have been used a lot more to 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 make a a villain you can really empathize with and understand. Okay. Uh, money. I guess the simplest um, way to summarize would just be to quote the elusive man. He said. Salvation comes with a cost. Judge us not by our methods, but by what we seek to accomplish. Nice to put. Um, for me, I I was disappointed that there were um, in in three as the the antagonist. Um, I think all right, they needed somebody else for you to shoot at that wasn't the Geth and it wasn't the collectors because they'd already been done. So who else could they they do? They didn't want to recycle um, those enemies. So I see where they went with that. But in regards to Cerberus as a whole, after you've spent so much time with them into, I think it did them a great disservice for it. Uh, but it was a nice ending that I'm glad they didn't go down the, the route of having the Elusive Man as a final boss. Uh, I didn't when you, you hear about that idea that was thrown out there that he was then going to turn into a, a, a Reaper. I'm glad that didn't happen. I'm glad oh, that I know they... the, con the concept art for it is rubbish too. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, but overall it, they started off pretty weak and just kind of on the sidelines got really, they were really, really well written in, in two. Um, Cause you, you start off and you hate them. You don't trust them. And by the end of it, you're like, all right, yeah, they're, they're, they're wanting to get stuff done and they're not shrouded in red tape and stuff. So, And then, yeah, there was a bit of a letdown for three for me. Well, I guess then what would you, either of you, if you could change one thing about Cerberus in any of the games, like what would you have done differently? Me? I would have given the option to, to work again with them in two, uh, in three, sorry. Uh, and if you chose not to, then they could work against you, but actually have them working against you more so that they were, you, although you're probably both working towards the same goal, you know, either you got ahead of them or they got ahead of you and it could really mess up your gameplay or you just had to think strategically which planets you'd need to go to to try and and beat them to the punch sort of thing. I think whilst everyone's expecting me to say, like, just um, write them a lot better in the third game, um, <clears throat> I think it would have been a whole lot nicer if they did a lot more with them in Mass Effect 1 to begin with. 
and you know made them have some kind of role in the first game like in the main story sorry yeah i think they were probably a bit of a side character to begin with and then actually as the was starting to go into two it was like oh actually we could use these couldn't we yeah because in my first playthrough of mass effect one i didn't do any of the side missions so i hadn't even heard of them until mass effect two so <laughs> it was nice you got that option right at the start of mass effect two it's like it's cerberus and then you can say well i've never heard of you <laughs> yeah i think what i would have done is like i've said it before but i'll say it again because i really like what the board game did um but in mass effect risk what ends up happening is there's two Alliance armies, two Reaper armies, and then one Cerberus guy. So what ends up happening, the point of the game in a nutshell is the two Alliance armies are trying to keep the the catalyst hidden from the Reapers while they're going out and trying to get new stuff, like more parts to it and to get it completed. And to get like to get the catalyst finished, to use it to destroy the Reapers, and then the Reapers are trying to find the catalyst to destroy it, so then they can't be destroyed. And then meanwhile, the Cerberus player is kind of off just fighting both at the same time and just trying to amass ridiculous amounts of technology and money and resources and that they can, so they can dump into Henry Lawson's project at Sanctuary. And it just gets to a point where if Cerberus gets enough resources, they just control the Reapers and then they win. So if they could have done maybe a little something like that in Mass Effect 3, where Cerberus and the Alliance were both kind of working together, but the Alliance was working to destroy the Reapers, whereas Cerberus was working to control them. Uh, okay. Kai um, Lang is an awesome character. You just can't judge him by Mass Effect 3. You have to read the books and novels, Com the novels and comics. Okay. And um, so on that bombshell, we'll, uh, we'll leave that there. If you would like to contact the show, you can email us at uh, the lpcast at outlook.com. Uh, you can follow us on Twitter. We're at Lazarus Podcast uh, on Twitter. Or you can follow us individually. You can reach Craig on Twitter with the, with the tag at Craig and his Mac. Or you can find the Cerberus guy on uh, my Twitter handle is at that Cerberus guy, all one word. And uh, I'm on uh, at Ploppy54 on Twitter as well. Uh, thank you uh, for, for listening. And don't forget to check out the Discord where you can come and listen to us ramble on these podcasts. That's uh, the Ploppy54 Gaming Discord. There is a link to the Discord on ploppy54gaming.com. So you can find everything you need to know there. And uh, that's all from me today. So thank you very much. And I'll see you next time. Take care. Take care, everyone. And thanks for listening. I am sovereign. And this station is mine. We'll be honest, though. My character is not entirely evil. Because when it comes to his duty, he doesn't take bribes. So, you know, he's not entirely <laughs> evil. Not entirely evil. <laughs> Just a little bit. Yeah, I mean he'll he'll kill injured people who can't hurt him. You know he doesn't take bribes. <laughs>
I have a mod for Ashley that I use to help reduce how often I shoot her on the Citadel, but your bot won't ever let me post pictures of it <laughs> in the Discord. For those of you, you, you won't know this because uh, uh, Craig's going to do some uh, sweet editing, uh, but this is the second time we've had to record this because uh, the the video video the uh, the recording software didn't work properly. So uh, yeah, it's it's kind of lost a good hour's worth of us chatting. Yes, yeah, we can blame Craig for that, not me, but we can blame the Craig. <laughs> Craig 2. Craig 2. Craig 1 and Craig 2.